Good morning. It's a great joy to be with you again. As we continue our journey through the Bible. This morning we're going to be in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. But first, let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you now for this privilege to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. You, Lord, um, you are our life, you are our hope. It is your death and resurrection, Lord, that secures our eternal future, our forgiveness of sins, our resurrection from the dead. And Lord, I just pray that uh, in all of our lives, we would grow to treasure you more and more and to do as King David did and write, sing songs of praise. Give voice, Lord, to our hearts longing for you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you got a Bible, please turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. I've entitled this message, Songs of the King. Songs of the King. Do we, do we have a PowerPoint? I bet I didn't upload it. Sorry about that, guys. Um, you're just going to have to listen to me read. Um, I've entitled this message, Songs of the King. Uh, why did I entitle this message, Song of the King? Well, a couple reasons. First reason is this. We're talking about the book of Psalms. 73 out of the 150 Psalms were written or attributed to King David. So almost half. Right? So in that sense, they are very literally Songs of the King. And besides that, each psalm, each psalm when you read them, what they're doing is, whether they're written by David or anyone else, it is someone, a, a follower of God, a believer, uh, uh, someone who trusts in God, an inspired author uh, from, uh, from ancient Israel. And what they're doing is they're giving voice through song or poem of their heart's cry to God. You see, music has... As, as old as, as human history, and the writing of songs and poetry has always been a profound and powerful way to give voice to our heart's cry for God. And additionally, many psalms, if you, if you read the Gospels and, the, and the, the, just the New Testament in general, what you'll see is that many psalms are quoted and are said to have been fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. In fact, um, uh, in um, Jesus, when he was on the cross, one of the last things Jesus spoke, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the, uh, Jesus, of course, is lamenting how for the first time in all eternity, God the Father has, is turning away from God the Son because on him has been placed the sin of humanity, he is crying that, but he's not just crying that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are the fir- is the first line of Psalm 22. Jesus, with his dying breath, is quoting scripture. And he's quoting a psalm. And he, he's putting himself in, he's putting the psalm on his lips. In other words, I believe that one of the ways then that we can read the Psalms 
is to read the Psalms as Christ's Psalms, as Christ's songs, as putting them on the voice in the mouth of Christ. They are, in the very true sense, the songs of the King. We have some, there's some, what I want to do this morning is I want to go through three major themes from the book of Psalms uh, and, and kind of tie it all together with our understanding of the Bible as a whole. Uh, so to do that, we're going to begin in Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. So if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Chapter 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the king with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word of God you may be seated. I want to see three things from our passage this morning that we see in the Psalms. The praise of God, the word of God, and the kingdom of God. The praise of God, the word of God, and the kingdom of God. The first thing I want to talk about concerning the book of Psalms or what we sometimes call the Psalter, is the praise of God. Now, this is is fairly obvious. Many of the Psalms were written to praise God. They were written as expressions of praise and thanksgiving to God. All in the Psalms, we are commanded to praise God. That means it is a sin to not praise God. And what I want to do when I talk about the praise of God this morning is that I want to just kind of fly through the Psalms, if you will, and give some reasons that the Psalms talk about, about why we should praise God. Why we should praise God. Number one, the first reason we should praise God is because God is our protector. Psalm 3.3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Psalm 4.8, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 18.3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The Christian 
is indestructibly held in the arms of God. The most, the single most common command, command in the Bible is to fear not. Why? Because we have a sovereign God who watches over his children. The Christian is invincible until God says it's your time to go. So until the God says it's your time, nothing can touch you. Because we belong in the hand of a sovereign God. That doesn't mean we never suffer. It doesn't mean we're never wronged. What it means is that the Lord is our protector. The Lord fights our battles and he always wins. And he will, Jesus Christ will conquer and we will be vindicated. If not in this life, then in the next. Praise God. He is our protector. Number two, we praise God because God hears our prayers. Psalm 4.3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Psalm 28.6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. Praise God that God hears prayer. That we call on God. We're, so often we're so quick to plead him in times of trouble and then when he answers we forget to thank him. Or we only come to him when we're in trouble. But praise God that God answers prayer. That when we call on him from the integrity of our heart, he answers our prayer. Number three, we praise God because God will grant perfect justice. Psalms 9, 2 and 4. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. Uh, Psalm 9, 7, and 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. We praise God because God is a just God. We see all the evil in the world. And we think, what's going on? How can this happen? But here's the thing. God sees it too. And he's watching and he's storing it up. Believe me, the Bible says that the unrighteous are storing up wrath for the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That is, those who are not forgiven of their sins in Christ, don't worry, they won't get away with it. If atheism is true, Hitler died and went to the dust and nothing happened. But if Christianity is true, then the atrocity that Hitler will committed will be paid for by him forever and eternity. And the same is true as everybody, every child molester, every rapist, every liar, every coward, the Bible says. Everyone who commits iniquity, even though they may never get get justice in this world, they will get justice in the next. Praise God. He's a just God. Praise God that sin is not swept under the rug and that all the evil in this world is not meaningless, but God is working it for his ultimate glory and he will deal with it at the right time. Praise God, we have a God of perfect justice. Number four, we praise God because God is king over all. Psalm 10, 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Psalm 29, 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. God is the king. 
No one will ever usurp his throne. There is not a single rogue electron in the universe. God sits on his throne and rules everything. He upholds the universe, the Bible says, by the word of his power. He is in total control. And he is all-powerfully for his people forever. His will is never thwarted. And he will accomplish all that he has spoken because he remains unchallenged as the king of the universe. Praise God. He's the king. Number five, we praise God because he is the source of all good in our lives. Psalm 16, 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Psalm 84, 11, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is the source of all good in our lives. Can you think of at least one good thing in your life? It's there because of God. Did your heart just beat? God. Did you just take a breath? God. Did you have a meal this week? God. Are you forgiven of your sins eternally through Jesus Christ? God. Do you have a hope in heaven that extends beyond this world because you are united to the Son of God by faith and and nothing can take you out of his hand? God did that. Praise God for all the good he does for us. Number six, we praise God because God leads us in making right decisions. Psalm 16, 7 I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Psalm 25, 8 through 10. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. God doesn't leave us groping about in the dark wondering what we're supposed to do with our lives. God doesn't leave us about wondering what's the right thing to do or what am I supposed to be doing with my life. God, are you, do you need direction in your life? Do you need guidance with a decision? Are you not sure what's going on in your life or what you're supposed to be doing? The Bible says, come to God with a humble heart. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and righteousness. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. If you come to God with a humble heart that says, God, wherever you lead, I will go. Believe me, if you come to God, he'll show you what you're supposed to do. Praise God. He leads us in what is right. And the final reason I'm going to mention this morning is this. We praise God because God's presence is our greatest joy. God's presence is our greatest joy. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 84, 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
We were made for God, and we were made for joy, and we were made for joy in God. There is everyone without exception is pursuing happiness. Everyone without exception is, will always make every decision based on what they think at any moment will bring them the greatest happiness. And what I'm telling you this morning is that there is no happiness greater than being in the presence of your God. And if you really want true and lasting happiness forever that no circumstance in the world can take away, then the, your one, the one thing you have to do is this, come to God. Just as we have no greater joys on this earth than being in the presence of our deepest and truest friend who knows everything about us, including our faults, and loves us anyways. So there is no joy like being in the presence of our God, fully forgiven and free by the blood of Jesus Christ, a child, a king, an heir forever with him. There's no joy like the presence of God. So what do we learn from this theme in the Psalms, we learn that we must, we must praise God. We must praise God. It is a sin not to praise God. Why? Because he is praiseworthy. And the thing is, is that C.S. Lewis said one time, we don't fully enjoy something until we praised it. If you have something that you love, something that has brought you great joy, you don't feel like you have enjoyed it completely until you've told someone else, hey, have you ever heard about this? Have you ever tried this? Have you ever done this? You haven't fully enjoyed something until you've praised it. You haven't truly tasted God until you begin to praise him. And find the, the, the joy of his presence. So first thing we see is the word of God. Second, uh, the praise of God. Second, the word of God. From the Psalms, a big, large theme of the Psalms is the importance, significance, and yes, the beauty and the glory and the greatness of the Word of God. It's interesting that the inspired writers are writing divine words that praise other divine words. It's telling us of the beauty and glory of God's Word. You know, some people have accused theological conservatives and uh, biblical inerrantists of bibliolatry. That is, somehow we idolize the Bible over and against God of the Bible. And I would just say that's it's ridiculous and it's a false dichotomy. To praise Hamlet is to praise Shakespeare. To praise the Word of God is to praise God. They're not in uh, competition for one another. And all over the Bible, all the divine writers all over the place are constantly praising God's word. In the psalm that we read uh, at the beginning, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So the psalmist writes a poem about the wonder of God's word. And what we see in this psalm and in much of the wisdom literature is that, biblically speaking, there's basically two ways to live your life. You can live it within the counsel of God and following his rules and his commands, or you can live it within the counsel of the wicked, following your own heart and your sinful desires or the wicked counsel of others. There's two basic ways to live one's life. One path leads to 
life abundant and joy forever, and the other path leads to death. And note here that when we talk about God's commands, we always have to remember that God's commands are not arbitrary. Some people think that. Some people think that Christians just made up a bunch of rules because we liked it that way, and then we just decide to keep them as if that's it. That's, that's not what Christianity is. God's rules are not arbitrary. God created humanity. And he designed humanity. Therefore, he knows how human, humans work. He knows how the human heart works. He knows how human culture and society works. Therefore, when God gives a command and says, look, this is how you work. This is how society works. This is how family works. This is how your church works. This is how culture works. When you use something in a way that it was not designed to be used, eventually it's going to break. And when we disobey God, what, we ha- what we'll see is that at the end of it, we'll see that we end up broken. God's commands are not arbitrary, but he gives us commands not, for, not just because he wants, to, he wants to snuff out our joy, but because he wants to give us joy. That's what the Bible says, Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who delights. In the law of the Lord. What's God saying? God's saying what? God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. And here's how he's going to do it. If you delight in his word. You want blessing from God? Delight in his word. Meditate on it day or night. Why? Because the person who meditates and delights in God's word. Who loves it. Who stores it up in his heart. Who believes it and trusts it and obey it. What is that person like? He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water. Have you ever met somebody who has a great faith and it seems that no matter what comes against them or no matter how they're provoked by the evil and wickedness of others, they just, they're just, they have this unshakable confidence and hope in their life that it's, it, it seems like almost nothing can shake them. What is that? It's the blessing of God on a life that is focused on him. Why? Because when you root yourself in God's word, even though the desert of life may come, even though everything, all the external circumstances of your life seems to be like they're drying up and withering, nevertheless, you will still flower and bloom and bear fruit in the midst of the desert. Why? Because God's word's ever trickling into your soul. Do you want to live like that? Or do you want to be someone who just dries up when, the, when, when, the, when your life falls down. Or if you, you dig your roots into God's word and nothing can shake you. Because he's strengthening you. In, even in the dry seasons of life. Blessed is the man who delights in God's law. We also see God's word exalted. And we could mention as well that the longest chapter in the Bible, in the entire Bible, Psalm 119, is entirely devoted to the glory of God's Word. And we also see God's Word exalted in Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Why don't you go ahead and flip over there real quick, since we don't have it up on the screen. Psalm 19, verse 7. This is what David has to say about God's Word. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. You see, for so many, tragically, and of course we all fall into this temptation at times, but for so many, I'm afraid, in the Christian life, Bible study to them is a duty and not a delight. It's just something that good Christians are supposed to do, and I know I'm supposed to do it, but in reality, I don't really want to. And if I do, it's often out of guilt. What we need then, what we need then, is we need to ask God to help us to see as he sees, to see reality as it is, to see as David sees. When David looked at the law, nobody had to goad him into reading God's word. Why? Because when he saw it, verse 7, when, when David looked at God's law, what he saw was perfection in a book. The law of the Lord is perfect, he said. And not only that, but he said, because it is perfect, he says, it revives the soul. Right? Does your soul need reviving this morning? Well, I got, I, got, I got news for you. I know where you can go to have it revived. The law of the Lord is perfect. And if you read it, it will revive your soul. Verse 8, David says, the word of the Lord is sure. We live in an era of fake news. You read something, you watch something on the news, you read something on the internet, you're not sure what's true and what isn't. We would do far better and we would live far more holy lives if we turned off the news and opened this book. Why? Because when you open this book, the law of the Lord is sure. It's 100% true from cover to cover. You never have to wonder if what's in it is true. It's always true. And it's sure, he says, It's sure, and because it is sure, he says, it makes wise the simple. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to have the the wisdom from the Holy Spirit impressed upon your mind so that as you look out in your life and as you look out in the world, you, you have this spiritual intuition because your mind has been saturated by God's word that you know what is the wise and godly decision to make in every situation in life? You can. The law of the Lord makes you wise. When you saturate your heart and mind in it. We could go on and on. It says, here it says, the precepts of the Lord are right. Verse 8, rejoicing the heart. Do you need some joy today? God's word can give it to you. Are you in a fog and you can't quite see where you feel like you're going in life? It says, the, the, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It helps you see things clearly as they truly are. What about verse 10 there? If I told you that I would give you right now, I would give you 10 tons of gold. Gold is over $1,000 an ounce right now. If I said I would give you 10 tons of gold, but you could never read or listen or hear the, the word of God for the rest of your life, would you take it? Choose wisely. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, says 
David. Why? Why? Because the Bible says, the book of Peter says, that one day this earth, even all the material elements will be burned up by fire. I can give you 10 tons of gold, but guess what? When you die, it's not going with you. But if you take this word of God and put it in your heart, it will never be taken away. The word of God endures forever. What about this? Do you have a sweet tooth? Can't control yourself around the dessert table of a Baptist potluck? Is it true? David says, have you tasted God's word recently? It's sweeter than honey. Sweeter than the drippings of a honeycomb. Have you ever read the Bible and you... You're going through something in life and you read a verse and it's like a thunderbolt from heaven comes down and strikes the page. And you know God has spoken to you. There's nothing sweeter. I'm telling you. It's true. What we learn from God's word, what we learn from the Psalms, is that God's word is our treasure. It's our joy. It's our delight. It's one of the greatest gifts That God has ever given us. And in fact, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God's word incarnate. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. So, I appeal to you as your pastor to make time every day to read your Bible, to think about it, to meditate on it, to ask the Lord how it, what it means and how it applies to your life. <laughs> we make time every day for things that don't matter. We watch TV. We scroll social media. Every day, without exception, we do those things. Let's read God's Word, and it will last forever, and it will change our lives. So, We see the praise of God. We see the word of God. And finally, in the Psalms, we see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. There there are a certain number of Psalms in the Psalter that uh, theologians have labeled royal or messianic Psalms. These Psalms are especially, they're especially uh, uh, exaltations Over God's king. Over God's king. Remember, David was a king. But not only that, but as we talked about last week, God gave David a promise that he wouldn't be the only king, but that that there would be a great king descended from him who would rule over all the earth. And these, these royal psalms, these messianic psalms, They provide part of the background in addition to the the prophets of they're the the scriptures that gave Israel their messianic expectation. In Jesus' day, the Jews, the Jews understood, because from reading their Bibles, they understood that God had promised them a king, and everyone was wondering, where is he? Where is the king? And these Psalms form part of that messianic expectation. And we know that these Psalms, they're talking about somebody almost greater than earthly expectation. Even as David 
penned some of these psalms, it's clear that the language that he uses goes beyond anything that any earthly king could ever accomplish. And what they let us know and what they're telling us is that we are waiting for another. And one of the clearest examples of the Messianic psalm is Psalm 2. You could turn back there, Psalm 2. I just want to read it again for us and to think about this messianic expectation that we have right here in the book of Psalms. Psalm 2.1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Remember, anointed kings were anointed by God. David refused to lay a hand on King Saul because Saul was God's anointed one. The rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. Verse 4, He who sits in the, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. How about that? Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Think about what this psalm is saying. This is probably a thousand years before Jesus was born. And it's, it's, a, it's a prophecy that Peter calls David a prophet in Acts chapter 2 through his psalms. He says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. In other words, David predicted that the world would not want God as their king. And so what will they do? They will rage against him. You can't tell me what to do. It's my life. The nations rage. But what does, what does the Bible say God's response is to the raging of the nations, of the mightiest ones on earth? The Lord laughs. Have you ever thought of the futility of raging against God? It's literally absurd. I've heard people ask famous atheists this question before about if you died, and let's suppose Christianity is true, and, and you died and you stand before God, what would you tell them? You'd be amazed at what some of, some of them have said in response to that question. They come up with all these nice little pithy answers uh, uh, about, about how they would question God, kind of be like, hi, God, gotcha. Let me tell you something. 
When you stand before God, when, you, when, you're, when God stops your heart from beating because it's your time to go, and you flash into the presence of God Almighty, Jesus Christ, hair as white as wool and eyes of flaming fire, and he looks at you in your eyes and you know that he can see into the depths of your soul, including the thoughts and intentions of your heart, every single thought you ever thought, and you know that he knows You, let me tell you, believe me, on that day, you will not be questioning God. He will be questioning you. He's going to be asking all the questions. And if we're not in Christ, if we are not forgiven, we're all sinners before God. But if our sin has not been wiped away by our just clinging to Christ for all that we are, we'll be speechless. Believe me, you you won't have a word to say to God Almighty. The nations rage, the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and his anointed. What, how does God respond to their raging? Verse 5 and 6, this is where he says, he tells them, verse 6, this is his response. Here's how he responds to the nation raging. I've set up my king. I have a king. I've set him up. He rules. And no matter what you do, you can't dethrone him. To him, you will answer. And look at verse 7. This is so, it's mysterious. It's, it's mind-boggling. It is, it, it is as if the, the, the author of this psalm here, has, he, he's been given a, it's like he's been transported to the throne room of heaven before time began, and he hears God telling a decree that will last forever. And he sees, and it's, and it's this king, it's this kingly figure, because he says, the Lord said to me, who said to who? The king. The Lord said to me, a decree from God, you are my son, today I have begotten you. What does that mean? Well, remember, in God's covenant with David, as we talked about last week, Remember? God promised David that he would have a descendant. And God told David, he said, your descendant will be to me as a son. And I will be to him as a father. When it says, today I have begotten you, it's almost certainly not talking about creation. Especially with reference to Christ. We know Christ was never created. A person is begotten as a king in Israelite understanding when they are anointed as king. And this ancient decree says this, you are my son, today I have begotten you. When was Jesus anointed king? His baptism. The spirit of God descended from heaven and rested upon him. And what did God say? What did he say? This is my beloved son. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 8. Ask of me, Jesus, and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus Christ is the king. 
He rules. The earth belongs to him. This is the divine decree from heaven. The anointed king of God will receive from heaven all rule and authority and might and power. He will sit on the throne of all. Jesus Christ, when he commissioned his disciples to proclaim the gospel, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. To me. And he will, right in Psalm 8, he'll rule over the nations. And when the day comes, he says, he will judge the earth. That's what it says. Verse 12, kiss the son lest, you be, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. You see, Jesus, he came first. Jesus first came as the Lamb of God. To take away the sin of the world. So that all who believe, who turn from their sin, who turn from their way of life, who turn from, who, who turn from, from a fundamental posture of saying, I'm in charge of my life. And who turn and say, no, Jesus, you're in charge of my life. Forgive me. I believe you. I trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. Come live in me. Rule in me. I want to live for you. I want to live as who I was made to be. God, forgive me for Jesus Christ's sake. And come into my life and lead me. The person who trusts in Christ, he is forgiven of their sins. You're forgiven of your sins. He, Jesus came first as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But when Jesus comes back, he's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And every rebel power that stands against him, the Bible says he will shatter with a rod of iron. Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And his head are on, many, are on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Jesus is the king. Which is why in verse 12 it says. Or verse 10 it says. Now therefore O kings be wise. Be warned O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice and trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. As I said last week, I say again. Jesus is the king. The Bible says all, all authorities and dominions and, and, and kingdoms will be placed under his feet. And when he returns, the end will come and he will receive his kingdom for himself. And right now, Jesus offers full, unfettered access, citizenship into the kingdom of heaven. Kiss the son. Kiss him. Love him. Serve him. He's a good king. 
He's a gracious king. The Bible says no one ever truly belongs just to themselves. You either serve, you either serve Jesus or you serve the devil. Let me tell you something. Jesus is a much kinder taskmaster. He's a much kinder master and Lord. You serve Jesus. You kiss the son. You make peace with the coming king before he, re- before he comes to take his kingdom and power. And guess what? Jesus said, we will sit on his throne and reign with him. That's the reward for those who turn to him. But if we harden ourselves in our sin and say, not your will be done, but my will be done with our lives. And we presume to be our own king and thus rebel against the good, gracious, kind rule of King Jesus. Rest assured when he comes. Every rebel power will be shattered with a rod of iron. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. But blessed are those who take refuge in him. Let me tell you something. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever met? An upset mama, someone's messing with their child. You ever met an upset mama, someone's messing with their child? You don't, you don't want to stir up that pot. Let me tell you something. When Jesus comes back for his children, if you belong to him, guess what? You, he takes you up. He takes you into his family. You reign with him. But those who have been messing with his children, that's it. The offer stands to all if you will receive it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth. You are our king, 